Welcome to episode 269 of Live Happy Now. This is Paula Phelps, and I'd like to thank you for joining us again this week. If you've ever had a sudden feeling of distress that triggers your fight or flight response, then you know what it's like to have your emotions hijacked. And if that's something you've experienced recently, you're not alone. This week, clinical psychologist and mindfulness expert, Dr. Shauna Shapiro, returns to talk about how current times might be affecting your emotions and what practices you can use, both individually and as a family, to regulate them. Shauna, thank you for coming back to talk to us on Live Happy Now. Oh, I'm delighted to be back. Thanks, Paula. Well, you and I talked back in February and things were so much different. There was no way we knew what was ahead of us. And we talked about your fantastic book, Good Morning, I Love You. And the reason I wanted to invite you back today and talk to you is because you give so many great practices for mindfulness and for managing things during difficult times. And one thing that I kept going back to during this time is your practice on emotion regulation. So thank you for coming on because that's really something I want to talk to you about today. I agree. I think all of us can feel the impact of these times in our nervous systems, on our emotions and our hearts. And it's really important to have tools and practices to help regulate them. And your practice on emotion regulation really explains how it starts. So I guess to begin with, can you explain to us what an amygdala hijack is? So an amygdala hijack is when kind of our fear centers, which is based in the amygdala, overwhelms our prefrontal cortex and our higher order reasoning. And so our ability to make wise choices is very much hindered. And so that's why these mindfulness practices are so helpful is that the word mindfulness means to see clearly. And we want to see clearly so we can respond effectively. When something stressful is happening or overwhelming or we're afraid, it's really hard to see clearly and then we make poor choices. And so the first step to kind of either preventing or <laughs> rebalancing an amygdala hijack is simply to name what you're feeling. To simply say, I'm scared or I'm feeling stressed right now or I'm overwhelmed. And research from UCLA showed that when you just name your emotion, it kind of puts the prefrontal cortex back in charge. You know, it kind of puts the seatbelt on the little teenager in the background and <laughs> it starts to calm down the body. So simply naming it helps tame your emotion. So that's the first step that I usually recommend to people. I thought that was really interesting that just giving a name to something can have such a profound effect. Do they know why that is? Well, I think part of it is that when you name it, that means there's a part of you that is witnessing it. There's a part of you that is no longer consumed by it or enmeshed with it. So there's the awareness that knows you're sad isn't sad, right? It's just aware. The awareness that knows you're angry isn't angry. It's just aware. And so there's a way you start to get a little distance from your emotions and you're able to witness them with greater perspective and greater clarity. And when you say, talk about giving a name to it, is that something you just do mentally? Is it something you write down? How do you go about defining what you're feeling? So when you feel an emotion, what's interesting is most people don't even really notice it until it gets pretty significant. And so what I work with people on doing is starting to notice the subtler emotions and then just gently naming them, you know, silently is fine. Out loud is also fine, especially if you're with people. It's helpful to let them know. You know, we say to our children, use your words, and it's helpful with us too. So to simply just notice, I'm scared right now. 
And in my own life, it's amazing how often we just kind of push through emotions and don't pause to feel them. And so by naming it, we create space for the emotion. And we also bring that higher order reasoning kind of meta awareness back on board. And sometimes one of the things that I hear a lot right now is people don't even know what they're feeling. Because I was talking to someone, I was actually talking about your book with someone because she was saying, she's like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know if I'm mad. I don't know if I'm scared. I just want to cry. That's beautiful that she's even aware of that because, you know, often people don't even feel what they're feeling. And so I think the first step is to feel it and then say, maybe I am confused or I just feel sad or I don't even know what I'm feeling. It's so complex. But I think the process of mindfulness is about bringing our attention and our presence and our kindness to whatever we're feeling, even if we're not sure what it is. And that's an act that takes some practice. It takes a lot of practice. And that's really what I tell people and was really the intention of my book is that you're not supposed to be perfect at all this. These are practices that you learn. And the good news is science shows it's never too late. It's never too late to literally re-architect your brain and cultivate these resources so that we can meet the current challenges. Yeah. And right now, we have such a great, <laughs> a great opportunity to see how well we can put these practices to use for us. So at least that's tr- how I'm trying to approach it. It's like, oh, look, another opportunity. We're getting lots of practice, yeah, lots of practice right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And can you talk about like in terms of regulating emotions, like how does learning to regulate your emotions prevent that amygdala hijack from taking place? Well, so what happens is when we start to feel strong emotions, often we either try to suppress them. And what research from Stanford University showed is that actually backfires, right? They come up stronger. And so what we're trying to learn how to do is how do we meet them in a healthy way? And trying not to feel something doesn't work. We've all tried this. We've all tried to distract ourselves. And so what we need to do is turn toward our emotion. And like I said, the first way of doing this is to simply name it, to simply notice it and to create space for it. And I know that sounds a little strange. And when I'm working with patients, they're like, what do you mean by create space for it? (laughs) It's already (laughs) taken up too much room. (laughs) Right. And so what I say is you give it space so that you feel what you feel. Because what's interesting about emotions is that they only last 30 to 90 seconds. And so people are so afraid to let themselves feel what they're feeling, but it just, it rises up like a wave, it does its dance, and then it passes away. And so what's really helpful is for people to give it space and then notice that they're okay, that they survived that wave. And so to start to use your words to say, I'm feeling scared, there's tightening in my throat, or I'm noticing tension in my shoulders. And what this does is when you name it, it just activates our prefrontal cortex. And that helps reduce that spike in our limbic system, that emotional reactivity that is you know, called the amygdala hijack. Now, if you do suppress your emotions, do they last longer? Because you talk about them coming back stronger. What happens is it's not that they last longer. It's that they kind of hijack you so that you're, you don't have your full presence to see them. They just kind of come out of the blue. And the other part about suppressing your emotions is that you don't have any chance to pause and consciously respond to them. So there's a way in which you're on automatic pilot. 
And what mindfulness does is it puts us back in choice, right? We can't eliminate our stress, but through repeated practice, we can train ourselves to identify and regulate our emotions so that we have greater clarity and greater wisdom to make good choices. And how does that help us specifically now? Well, right now, I think more than ever, we need people in this world to pause, to breathe, to first take care of their own emotions, and then to be able to respond wisely and compassionately to what's happening in the world. And when we get overwhelmed and when we go into an amygdala hijack, we're basically acting like five-year-olds to you know teenagers. And <laughs> that's not who you want running the world. It's not who you want making choices for decisions of big changes that our world needs. And so right now, I've been working a lot with first responders. I've been working with a lot of leaders and really training them in these practices so that they can manage their own feelings and then really meet the present moment, no matter how difficult or painful it is, and see it with clarity. You know, Einstein has that beautiful quote. He says, the thinking that created the problem is not the thinking that can solve it. And what I would add to that is the emotional reactivity that leads to a certain type of thinking that creates the problem is not what's going to solve it. And so we need to start to shift our awareness, our perspective, the lens through which we see things so that we can respond with greater wisdom and greater clarity. And that's really difficult right now because tensions are so high and easy to respond very quickly and very inappropriately. So what is your suggestion? How do you help people learn to take that pause for mindfulness? Right. The first thing, and I think the most important thing to know, is that mindfulness is simple remembering is hard. <laughs> so, so this all makes sense. It's not like anyone's going to say, no, I really want to stay reactive and then make a bad choice. Like everyone agrees with what I'm saying. You know, it's not just scientifically proven, it's common sense. So the key is remembering. And the way that we remember is by literally carving out these neural pathways so that it becomes our habit. It becomes a practice. And I can remember when I was a little girl growing up, my father was a professor at Stanford and he was a meditator and I remember as a little girl, when he would get angry, he would take a deep breath and close his eyes. And I remember going to school and a teacher getting angry and she didn't do that. And I'm like, <laughs> you forgot to take your deep breath and close your eyes. Like, <laughs> and so there's a way in which there's just a pattern in my dad where he had cultivated this so that he wouldn't yell. Not that he wouldn't get angry. We feel what we feel, but he learned how to regulate it. And so what I invite people to do is it's a daily practice. It's not just for when you are having an you know, emotional outburst, it's every day you practice. First, setting the intention to deepen your attunement with your emotions to regulate them, and then bringing your attention into the present moment, right? To really feel your own body, to notice where am I holding tension or tightness? You know, for me, each day when I'm practicing, you know, especially now, I'm surprised, you know, I'll just, grief will spontaneously come up, like just sadness, where Sometimes I, you know, I don't know, there wasn't like a precipitating event. It's just the current circumstances. And I realize how important it is that I'm taking that time to kind of empty it out a little bit. So I have a little more space. You know, if you imagine a cup filled with water to the brim and then a few more drops go in, it spills over. 
I don't think it's really important each day to take some time to empty our cup a little bit. It's very full right now. And then the third thing, so the first is your intention. The second is your attention. And the third is your attitude. And it is essential to do these practices with kindness and curiosity. And what I've found is a lot of times when people start noticing their emotions, they feel bad about them. They feel shame. Gosh, what's wrong with me? Why do I feel this way? They get angry at themselves. They blame themselves. And what that does is when we shame ourselves, it shuts down the learning centers of the brain and it inhibits us from working through these emotions and really growing from them. And so this third element is your attitude where you bring kindness and curiosity. Oh, what does it feel like to be scared right now? And what kindness does is it turns on the learning and motivation centers of the brain. So it gives you the resources to really meet the challenges. That's such a wonderful way to go about this. But right now, kindness can be difficult to come by. It's sometimes difficult for us to find kindness for ourselves because we're so amped up about so many different things. And, you know, maybe it's fear, maybe it's anger. Sometimes it's just outright panic. So how do we integrate kindness into our lives? I mean, I know in our house, we've really made that our main goal right now, every day when we get up is to live this day with kindness because Mm. everyone is going through something. That's beautiful. Well, first of all, what you're doing is exactly right. You're setting that intention right at the beginning of the day. You're kind of setting the compass of your heart in the direction of kindness. Because remember, this is about remembering. So if you daily set your intention toward kindness, that will help you. Another thing is, you know, right now, just as you're listening, you can see if you can soften your body 5% more, just bring a little more ease and feel your breath with a little more focus. And then What I like to do is just let there be a gentle smile on your face. And this isn't pretending that we're happy, but what the smile does is it sends a biochemical message to the nervous system that you're safe, that in this moment, you can relax. And so letting there be just a smile, like you can even feel it crinkle up into your eyes. And for me, throughout the day, I'll take a breath and I'll just have this gentle smile just to kind of recalibrate my nervous system, just to invite in that recognition that even though things are very challenging, in this moment, I'm okay. That's something that's really important right now because of all the uncertainty. And we all want to know what's going to happen next and nobody does. Exactly. Nobody does. And so what we have to realize is that things are actually always uncertain And we kind of live in denial of that basic truth. Everything is impermanent. Everything is constantly changing. And so we need to find solid ground within ourselves, within our breath, within our body, within this present moment, right? In this moment, I'm okay. And what that does is it starts to, as I said before, kind of empty out our cup so that we don't have that reactivity or that amygdala hijack because we've been taking care of ourselves before the panic moment. And how often do you pause during the day? Because obviously it's great to start the day this way, but what I'm finding is that's not enough (laughs) right now. (laughs) I totally agree. I say to my husband, I'm always like, He's like, do you meditate? And I'm like, I did, but it seems like I need to do it again. You know, <laughs> it, It's again, this isn't about doing it perfectly. It's like, can I bring 5% more kindness or 5% more wisdom? And the moment I notice I'm off, 
is actually a moment to celebrate because you're back. You're already back in choice where you can take a deep breath, where you can practice a smile. And it's really not about never making a mistake. It's about how quickly you can recover. And what I found is that these practices are always right here for me. And that the more I practice in the morning on a daily basis, it's like, it's like I'm weaving together a parachute <laughs> and I want to get as much of it done as I can before I have to jump. And one thing that we've seen a lot of is families are now pushed together in situations that, you know, for some of them, it's been great. Others are like, I was not supposed to live with my 20 year old <laughs> son and his girlfriend, you know, so how can families together practice emotion regulation? Like how can parents instill this in their children and how can you make this a family practice so everybody can just kind of take a breath, take a beat, and there's a bit more harmony for everyone? It's a great question. It's very important. And, and I will say, you know, we now have four kids and a dog in our home, which we're not used to at all. So I get it on a personal level. And there's a couple things. One are these practices you can definitely share with your children or your teenagers or your adult children. The other thing that I'm noticing is very helpful is, you know, we have something called the negativity bias and just evolutionarily, we're hardwired to kind of look for the negative, to focus on what's wrong, to scan our environment for danger. And this includes scanning our, our family environment, <laughs> which means we focus on what people are not doing right instead of what they are doing right. One of the ways to counteract this negativity bias is to kind of pendulate over to the good and to actually pick up your mind, pick up your attention and change rooms for a while so that you actually focus on what's good, what you appreciate in someone. And it's incredible to realize that you have the choice and to every day. So when we're sitting and having dinner every day, you have to say one thing you appreciate about the person sitting to your right. And you can imagine what kind of mu musical chairs go on. <laughs> it's like, I can't house. sit by you today. <laughs> uh, right. Depending on the day. But it creates this like real beautiful atmosphere of kindness. And as you practice this, you're growing these neural pathways and you're starting to shift the focus from what's wrong to what's right. It's also very important for your digestive system not to be in the middle of a fight or talking about something negative while you're trying to eat dinner. So it's a wonderful practice at dinner time that, you know, takes less than three minutes. It's not like it takes a very long time and everyone can do it from the youngest age to the oldest. That's terrific. I like that a lot because dinner tables can be a dicey place <laughs> for conversation sometimes. So as we're navigating through this, what does watching the news and paying attention to what's going on around us? What is that doing to our amygdala? Because I understand it's important to be informed. And I have a journalist background, so it was always my propensity to, I've got to absorb all the news. Now I'm like, I don't need to be absorbing so much. Yeah, it's a really important question. And I think not just the news, but in general, all of the negativity and all of the fear, we have to be really careful about how much we are able to take in and then also how we digest it so that we have to make sure to take time afterwards to kind of, again, empty out our cup and, and return to some kind of baseline of health. And so I agree with you. I think it's very important, especially right now in our current climate to stay informed. But I think you need to find you know, what news sources you're listening to and to do it in a very intentional way. So you don't just have it on in the background and say, oh my God, this is happening. That <laughs> once a day, 
you know, you choose your specific news source and you set an intention to listen to the information to gather clarity, right? And you take deep breaths, you focus just on doing that, you know, you choose the amount of time. And when you're done, I think it's really important for people to take a few deep breaths and say that that was hard, um, but it's important that I know. And to really view the news as kind of a ritual or a practice that you need to engage in, in a very intentional way. I like that because one thing that I've started doing through all of this, I actually started this in part after the 2016 elections, is I started recording the news and I set aside a time at the end of the day before, not late end, so it's not right right before I go to bed, but I will watch that and there are certain things I know I'm going to fast forward through. There are certain people I do not need to hear speak (laughs) and because I know what it does to me. And it's like in that way, I feel I I still, I know what's going on. I know enough, but I'm not amped up in that way that I was. That is really wise. And also that's a really wise choice because then you get to control when in your day, because it's very, it's a terrible thing to listen to the news right before you go to sleep, you know, or right before dinner. Now you're like, I don't want to eat. We're all going to (laughs) die. Right. Exactly. And so I think it's really important in this time that people start being a little bit more proactive instead of reactive in many different ways and to really be intentional about how are we living our lives and how am I taking care of myself and what am I exposing myself to and making choices that nourish us and that support our best selves to come forward. If you're sitting at the table and you're reflecting on what's the one thing I appreciate about grandma, it's really different than if you're like, you know, focusing on the fact that, you know, what the news just said. Right. My downtown is on fire. (laughs) Exactly. And so, and we have choice. That's what's really important for people is you always have choice in how you're going to respond to a current situation. I think that is such a great takeaway is that even though we can't choose the situation we're in, we choose how we're reacting to it. I think that is so powerful to remember. Absolutely. And I think that is where we are. I remember Viktor Frankl, who was one of my heroes from Nazi Germany in the Mm -hmm. concentration camps. You know, he said, there's always the power to choose our response. And in that choice lies our freedom and our growth. And we're not able to choose what's happening in the world right now, unfortunately, but we can choose our response to it, to continually incline our minds and our hearts towards greater kindness, towards greater open-mindedness. So we're all listening deeply instead of reacting. And I think that is what's going to start to change both our individual feelings and our world. Fantastic. Shauna, as always, you give such, you're so wise. You have so much to tell us and so much to teach us. So I appreciate you coming on during this. And and I'm not going to rule out bringing you back again because we don't know how long. And I know this book is full of practices. So thank you for talking about this one with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Paula. That was Dr. Shauna Shapiro talking about how we can learn to regulate our emotions during these difficult times. If you'd like to learn more about Shauna or her book, Good Morning, I Love You, just visit us at livehappynow.com and follow the links. And a reminder to bring a little bit of happiness to your workday every day with Live Happy Daily Happiness Briefing. Just enable this as a skill on your Amazon device and start your morning by saying, Alexa, give me my Live Happy Daily Happiness Briefing. That's all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps 
reminding you to make every day a happy one.